Uh, we have been preaching through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday morning, and we are here in this passage today in a message I call Beware of the Leaven. Beware of the Leaven. Mark chapter 8 and verse 15, Jesus charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I want to make it real clear, real plain for you right off the bat, that leaven is yeast, plain and simple. That's what it is. It's what it's always been. It has a very predictable effect on various things. Uh, when you put it into dough, something wonderful happens, and what comes out of those marvelous creations known as yeast rolls. I love them. There are other things that yeast is good for. It's perfectly good. It's been around for ages and eons. And uh, we're very, very thankful for it. It does a lot of good things. Uh, but in the Bible, it is often used as an illustration or an example of sin and how sin works in the lives of people. Uh, in fact, the parable that uh, gives us that illustration or that example of Galatians chapter 5 says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Yeast, you see, spreads until... A whole batch of dough or a whole tank full of liquid, whatever it's been put into, is permanently changed. It doesn't leave something partially leavened and then partially unleavened. It goes through it all. And sin works exactly the same way. That's why God used it in this way uh, because it was something we were very familiar with. But it shows us then how sin works and how it spreads until everywhere it is, everything that it touches then has been affected. Uh, we are affected in our world by the presence of sin. Our earth is affected by the presence of sin. Our relationships are affected by the presence of sin. It affects our family. It affects our view of ourselves. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Much of what we see playing out in our world today, and it, it's everywhere if you look for it, is mankind's efforts to try to deal with the problems that sin causes while denying that sin exists. It's an intriguing thing. You'll never hear a major politician stand up and say, we know what's wrong with America is sin. What's wrong with the world is sin. Uh, what's causing climate change is the effect of sin. Uh, what's breaking our relationships apart? What's getting people so confused and so dark and so violent? Why people are so mixed up that even some of the most fundamental issues of life, they can't settle anymore. What's causing all the confusion? What's causing all the violence? They're not going to say, well, we have a sin problem. No, they're not going to say that. You see, sin is like yeast in another way. Once yeast is put into something, you can't get it out. Once it's there, it's there. There's no way to get it out. Well, it's humanly impossible for us to take it out once it's put in. And sin is that way too. And so you, you see, if the problem in America today is a sin problem, if the problem in our world today is a sin problem, if what's wrong with humanity is sin, if, if what is hurting people, what's causing people to struggle, what is hurting our marriages, what's breaking apart, tearing apart our families, uh, what's doing so much damage in our communities, if, if the problem is sin, 
then man has no ability to fix it. We can't take sin out of the equation. But God can. God can. God has a solution for sin. And that is the power of the gospel. But if we look in this passage then we think, okay, leaven is often used in Scripture as an example of sin or as a picture of sin, and it is. Uh, Then we can also see that Jesus uses this very specifically in this passage because he speaks of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Two different extremes as we'll see later. But this tells us that it's not just a problem of indulgences, it's also a problem of ideas that sometimes not only does sin spread and spread and spread, but ideas, sinful ideas or ideologies, as we call them, can also spread and spread and spread. So Jesus was focusing with the disciples, his own people, about how the influence of the scribes or the Pharisees, the influence then of the Herodians could impact each of them and how it can reach across the centuries and impact us as well. Mark over and over again would set the truth that Jesus gave them in settings that made that truth come alive and this is no different. So we begin in Mark chapter 8 and verse 1 then with the story of Jesus' compassion on the Gentile multitude or the Gentile crowd Verse 1, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they've now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Three days. If I can get folks to sit down for 30 or 40 minutes, I've done good. They listened to Jesus for three days. I I, I thought about it last night, you know, at at 2 o'clock this morning, something amazing happened. The clock turned back to 1 o'clock, hit 2, boom, went straight back to 1. And we got to live that hour all over again. We got a whole do-over. What'd you do with it? (laughs) You slept through it. Yeah, I did too. Well, I kind of did, sort of. I was kind of awake. I just hate to miss such a stupendous thing. I get to live over a whole hour every year. So I've decided to move it to the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning. Now that's a good time to have a do-over. I like that idea. Uh, I I mentioned it for the 930 crowd this morning. They didn't like it either. We're not going to do it. Okay, time's passed, already gone. I'm sorry I let that slip out again. I just can't help myself. Three days, they'd listen to Jesus. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they'll faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. And then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? You know, Jesus showed compassion a lot. But this is the only time in Scripture where he said, actually, I have compassion. I have compassion on these. It was the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah who gave us that incredible truth. Out of the darkness of God's judgment upon Israel in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21 when he said, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions 
fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning when you open your eyes on another day, you are opening your eyes on another supply of God's compassion and of God's mercy. It's never going to run dry because every day gets a whole new source. I could preach a whole morning message on that one, but I'm not going to today. It's just a matter of reminding us that we have a compassionate and merciful God. And that is something for us to say, thank you, Jesus, for. Oh, God is compassionate to us. Now, the disciples were asking the question, how can one satisfy with these people, these people with bread here in the wilderness? The word they used didn't mean just to feed them or to give them all a snack, uh, but it was to satisfy them to eat until they were full. It was a huge crowd. And how can we then satisfy these people with food in the wilderness? Well, the only way, of course, that could happen in this barren wilderness is if Jesus intervened. And that's exactly what he did. The events played out as before. They had some of those hard-baked uh, briskets, hard-bread biscuits. They had some fish or sardines. And around it went, just as before. Jesus started breaking it, blessed it, break it, gave it out to them. And it went, and it went, and it went, and it went. And I say this every time because it's still true. I can't wait to get to heaven and watch the video. I want to see how that played out. Just a little bit of food. All of a sudden it is multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And people ate all they could eat. And when they were done, there were seven baskets left over the fragments that's in Mark chapter 8 verse 6, 7, 8 and 9 just like before you see Jesus used what they had that's all he's ever asked for what do y'all got? he used what they had he met the need of people an incredible need of people he showed compassion then to this hungry crowd that was out of food and hadn't had much for three days and after he then took what they had, used it to meet this incredible need, and then there was way more left over than he had to start with. You see, Jesus told us, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We look at our life and you say, you know, that there's just not very much to me. <laughs> I, I don't even know if there's enough of me to go around just for me. But I'll tell you what, when we make ourselves available to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will use us to meet the needs of other people. And amazingly, when we were worried about whether there was going to be enough of me to go around, now amazingly, Jesus Christ uses us. And there's more to us when He gets done than there ever would have been uh, to start with. That's just the kind of God we serve, the kind of Savior we serve. We see that same lesson demonstrated here again in this passage where he had fed the Jewish multitude before. Now he has demonstrated this incredible power and incredible compassion for a Gentile crowd as well. But there was something required. You see, the same Savior that can deal with human needs and has the power to deal with human needs, that same Jesus is still with us today. That same power then that has limitless compassion and mercy so that he sees our need and, and he actually cares about it. That same Jesus still cares about us today. 
But there's something required. And that is, the disciples had to acknowledge that they needed help. They could not do it on their own. And that's a big thing. We are all together too inclined to wallow around in those lies that we tell ourselves. I can handle this. I can make it happen. I can do this. I'm doing all right. I can quit whenever I want. I'm no worse off than anybody else. After all, nobody's perfect. Everybody's got problems. But I'm doing okay. It's all those lies that we tell ourselves that we've got this. When we don't got it at all. Not at all. takes that admission, you see, for that incredible power of Jesus Christ to go work, to go work. He has the power to deal with our needs. He has the compassion that lets him care about our needs. But they're not going to come until we go to him. Remember the story of the prodigal son. There he was down there in the hog pen. And some of you here in this building, some of you watching at home, you might be in that very hog pen today. It's a hog pen of rebellion. It's a hog pen of stubbornness. Stubborn rebellion. So that he's sitting there feeding hogs and wishing that he could eat their food. But have you ever tried to fight hogs for their food? He would fain, in vain, would have filled his belly with the hog food, but he, he couldn't do it. He couldn't feed them to the trough. But the Bible says that he came to himself. That's what it takes. He came to himself and he began to think then about the father's house and he realized that though he had messed all of that up, he said, you know, my father's servants are well fed. My father's servants are clean. My father's servants don't have to wallow around in this field. I'll go back to my father's house not to be a son anymore. I just want to be a servant. He had his speech all rehearsed. Do you remember? He had it all. Well, I'll say to him, I've sinned against heaven against you. And I'm no more. The, and I'm not. He had his speech all rehearsed. Do you know what? His speech was interrupted by the father who had welcome and open arms and ran out to him and received him and restored him. That's the God we serve. And if you're tired of that hog pen and you're tired of that hog pen life and living, you've gone there in your rebellion, you've been stubborn, you say, I can do it. No, you can't. It all stops, folks, when we come to ourselves. Tired of this. Are you tired of it? There is a compassionate, merciful God waiting for you to tell him, I'm sick of this. He has the power to help you. He has the compassion that cares about you. But it takes that admission. 
Once the disciples did that, then things went quickly into play. The passage begins with one more miracle then, one more incredible demonstration of God's compassion and mercy. This whole story then about beware of the leaven of the Herods and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It's all set here. It begins with this story of just another way that Jesus shows his compassion and power for people who come to him. Then Mark shows us another scene, verse 9. And he sent them, that is the crowd, away and immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit. We saw him sigh like that last week over that man who couldn't hear and couldn't speak. Showed him compassion. This isn't a sigh of compassion. This is a sigh of consternation. Here we go again. Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. Getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Here again, the Pharisees meet him, disputing with him, demanding that he show them a sign. Show me a sign. (laughs) Show me a sign. Mark sets these two events so close together that we'll notice. We can't miss it. There was that crowd that Jesus had ministered to and They weren't demanding anything. They were just listening to him teach. They'd listened for three days. They weren't crying out, Lord, feed us. They weren't crying out for anything. But Jesus had compassion on them and fed them and showed them this incredible miracle to prove that he had compassion for them. But then he's met by these contentious Pharisees. Show us a sign. Give us a sign. Jesus didn't give them a miracle. He didn't even give them five minutes, as best I can tell. He got back in the boat and left. This is the setting then of what's happened. Amazing time of compassion. Followed by this unbelievable time of contention. And then Jesus says, as they get in the boat to his disciples, the disciples, verse 14, had forgotten to take bread. And neither had they any in the ship with them more than one loaf. They found one old stale biscuit. That's all they had. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. What polar opposites Jesus proposes in this statement? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. We talked about this Herod a few weeks ago when we were talking about the murder of John the Baptist. And we saw then what a despot he was. What a a demi-semi-king that he was. And and how he was so concerned about his wealth and and just uh, bound up in all of his sinful indulgences and using his power and exploiting. He was a dangerous and violent, evil man. The leaven then of the Herods, the Herod crowd. 
but also the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, as much opposite as it's possible to be, these were the self-righteous religious people who lived by their code of law and they made their boast of how righteous they were. And yes, it was self-righteousness. It was not God's righteousness. It was a righteousness based on human works. So on the one hand, we had the leaven of the self-righteous Pharisees with their religious devotion and their rituals and all their dress and deportment. But make no mistake, the religion of the Pharisees was a false religious system. It had nothing to do with the truth of God. It had nothing to do with the truth of the Old Testament. It had, certainly has nothing to do with the truth of the New Testament. They were sincere in their religious beliefs, but they were sincerely wrong. What made their religion a false religion is a, a, what makes all religions false religion. You look at all the different kinds of false religion that there is in the world, and they all have one thing in common. They are all based on human works and human performance. They're all based on the idea that somehow I can work my way to God, whatever God it is they believe in. They're all based in some way on that idea that we can somehow make ourselves fit for heaven. And that was the Pharisees. They had their rules. They had their rigid uh, uh, way of living that not only did they want to live by it, but they wanted to force everybody else to live by it too. The leaven of the Pharisees. The response to that was predictable because the people on the other side looked at those self-righteous Pharisees and how they would put all of these rules on everybody else. And, and, and yet underneath there, there was that uh, hypocrisy, so distasteful. They saw it. They saw right through it. That their righteousness was phony. It was sham. And so on the other side were the people who were just through with all of that. The Herods, they were irreligious people, ungodly people. If the Pharisees were the ultra-conservative religious people who out, were out to make themselves righteous by their own works, on the other side there was the irreligious liberals who had nothing for God, no concern about God. They'd given up on God or God's truth altogether. But both of them in their own way was all about themselves. They both had their own way of living they both had their own idea of what was right and what was wrong. They had made up the rules in a way for themselves. Both the religious Pharisees and the irreligious Herodians were making up their own rules and living by them and trying to make everybody else live by them. They were both looking for a sign. It's interesting. We see it in this passage with the Pharisees in Luke chapter 23 when Herod saw Jesus. This was when Pilate had already been found out that he was from Galilee and tried to pass him off then on Herod, who was over in charge of Galilee. So when he sent him to Herod, Herod saw Jesus. He was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season. I bet he was. He had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Looking for the same thing the Pharisees were, a sign, a miracle. You see, when Jesus looked at his disciples, he knew that they were right in the middle of these two very powerful influencing agencies in their world. The religious hypocrites on one side with their rigid rules that they're trying to force everybody to live by. And the irreligious crowd on the other side making up their own rules and trying to make everybody live, of course, by their rules, whatever they are. 
the disciples were in the middle of that. So are we. So are we. The leaven of the Herods, the leaven of the Pharisees, is with us still. Though they might call themselves irreligious on one side, well, we're secular. We're secularists. The fact is they have their own beliefs, their own religion, their own dogma, their own doctrine, their own terminology. Yes, they do. Every bit as much as those on the other side. Both sides, by the way, the Pharisees and the Herods put themselves on the throne and put God on the cross. Both sides. But the influence that that they have and the potential influence that they could have on his people was dangerous and so Jesus warns them seriously about the leaven of the Pharisees. And the leaven of the Herods. Now being good Baptists, when uh, they heard that, of course, they, they immediately started thinking, man, I told you we should have planned for a potluck. <laughs> I, I told you we ought to bring some bread. I, I, knew, I knew it. We should have had some bread. And at that point, Jesus got pretty put out with them. And in fact, he's going to ask them nine questions, and he only gave them time to answer two of them. So you know what that's like. Uh, let's read them. Uh, he wasn't talking about bread. But Jesus, verse 17, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They finally got a chance to get a word in edgewise. Let me answer. They said 12. They remembered. And also when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? One of those questions he repeated twice. You see, it wasn't their lack of bread that he, have, he was concerned about. He was concerned about the dangerous influences that surround his disciples that can be summarized with these two great sources of influence. The hyper-religious Pharisees on one side working their way into whatever they think heaven is or whatever they think being right with God is and trying to force their code of belief and behavior on everybody else. The irreligious crowd who've given up on all that because that's a bunch of hypocrites and it is. It is. The irreligious crowd on the other side who's given up on it all. I don't want anything to do with that. When people start talking to me about not believing in God, I always try to ask them, I always try to get them to tell me what this God is they don't believe in. Because you know what? A lot of times I find out I don't believe in the God they don't believe in either. Because what the God they don't believe in is not the true God. The God they don't believe in is a God of their own invention. They say, well, I don't believe in going to church. And they'll tell me what kind of church you don't believe in going to. Listen, I wouldn't go to that kind of church either. 
Because a lot of times what they're describing is this kind of religious belief system that, uh, that's just so rigid and full of rules and, and self-righteousness and trying to force everybody into living like that. That's not what Jesus was doing. Between then, those two extremes, Jesus had given them such a beautiful example of how to do real ministry. The real deal. See, he went to that Gentile crowd. That hurting, hungry crowd. And he ministered to them. He showed compassion to them. He showed mercy to them. He taught them the truth. And they recognized it. And it wasn't some bunch of rules and rituals. He was calling those people to do what lost people need to do. And that is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might be saved. That's what it's all about. Every effort that's ever been made throughout all of history to try to implement some kind of a religious-based system and force people to live by all of those rules. Every time it's been tried throughout history, it's always been a colossal failure. There's only one thing that works, thank God, and it does work. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes people from the inside out. So that we're not just up here telling people who have no arms that they should swim and then getting after them because they can't swim. Jesus didn't do that. He went out with compassion. He showed him mercy. He called those people to believe on him, which was the one thing they needed to do. And then once they had done that, he taught them. And he taught them and he taught them. He taught them how to live. He taught them what life was all about. He gave them the light of the gospel that replaced the darkness of sin that they had lived in. And he did it with compassion. He did it with mercy. And with truth. Believers in Christ today, we stand very much at a Mark 8 moment. Church, we stand very much at a Mark 8 moment with our culture. If you're still in the workforce today, I don't know maybe where you work. But if you're still in the workforce today, I guarantee you, when you show up for work tomorrow... You're going to find yourself between these two influencing agencies. On the one hand, you'll find a lot of religious people bound up in their rules, trying to force everybody to live by their rules. And then you'll find a bunch of irreligious people bound up in their rules and their ideas, trying to make everybody cow down to their rules. And in between... There stands the followers of Jesus Christ, you and I. With Jesus warning us, don't, don't buy into the leaven. Don't let it influence you. The leaven of the Pharisees, don't let it get you. Don't let the leaven of the Herodians get you either. So what do we do? We do like Jesus did. We call people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We show them love and mercy and compassion. We don't hand them a list of rules and 
try to get them to live by it because all they're going to do is point out to us all the times that we don't live by the rules. Uh, no, that's, that's not it. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Herods. This is how you do ministry. You show compassion. There's a lot of hurting and hungry people in Cabot, Arkansas. Jesus doesn't send, send us out just to fix their hurts or to fill their bellies. Because all they are then is they got a band-aid and a belly full. That's it. He does send us out to show compassion and to tell them about our merciful Savior who can change them from the inside out. That's what he offers you today, but it begins for you at the same place it began in this story with the disciples admitting where we are, what's wrong, how it needs to change. Maybe you're there at the end of your rope today, so tired, so worn down, so tired of trying to cope with all the things you can't cope with, trying to deal with all the things you can't deal with. I want you to know today God loves you and he's waiting on you for open arms with open arms to tell him God I need you. If you'll do that then you'll find him compassionately responding. Let's stand together please.